Okay, hello, and welcome back to Tide Talks, our new series of Save the Bay podcasts, where we're hoping to have casual conversations about environmental issues uh, with uh, Save the Bay staff members and just generally discuss the work of Save the Bay with the people who are doing Save the Bay. So today I'm joined by Save the Bay Aquarist, uh, Adam Kovarski, thank you for coming up today to speak Thanks with us. Thanks for having me. And we're also <laughs> joined by Mia Chapone, who is another communications intern like myself. Mia, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? And I am Chris Joseph, recording my third episode of this series. And things have gone well so far. We're still recording at the Save the Bay office in Providence. We have moved to a new room, and hopefully... Any air conditioning equipment that you heard in the other episodes <laughs> won't be present here. So we have that going for us, uh, at least. So, Adam, thank you for uh, coming up today. I'd like to just introduce you quickly, although it's kind of redundant to anyone who's <laughs> listened to old Save the Bay podcasts. Do we have fans? Are they listening? I don't know. Uh, if they're I out there, so. they're probably oh, here we, again. We do, so. totally. Oh, I, good, yeah. good. Someone was watching. I'm not good at technology, <laughs> so I don't know. So Adam's back again. Um, Adam has more Save the Bay podcasting experience than anyone in the room. Uh, but we're going to introduce him anyway, uh, just so we all know what's going on. Adam, how long have you been working with Save the Bay? Uh, well, I've been working with Save the Bay since about 2007, 2008, right around there. Uh, when I first started, I actually did our AmeriCorps position. So, okay. you know, a government-funded position. And, you know, I kind of did a year of service and uh, taught out on our boats and our classrooms all over Providence, all, all over Rhode Island, uh, throughout the Narragansett Bay watershed, a little bit of Massachusetts, Connecticut, all that kind of stuff. Nice. And I introduced you as the aquarist. And you run the aquarium and exploration center in Newport, right? Yep, you got it. Yeah, what exactly, if you could crystallize your responsibilities there, this is the question I ask all our staff members, and it's difficult because the people who work here do a lot of different stuff, so sometimes it's an impossible task to put it in one sentence, but generally what do you do down there? Yeah, well, I think a general kind of rule of thumb with any nonprofit is, uh, you know, everyone wears a ton of hats, kind of like what you're you're probably finding out here. Yeah. Um, so at our facility in Newport, I manage all of our interns, our volunteers, our staff members. Um, I'm also the lead aquarium biologist or aquarist is kind of the other word for that. So I maintain our collection of live specimens from Narragansett Bay. Um, and I also, uh, you know, help make all the decisions on how we want to manage the collection in a, the most ecologically friendly way as possible. Yeah. Um, and I'm also uh, an education specialist for Save the Bay as well. So I'm the kind of lead educator at our Newport facility. Um, but even like today, I was out up in Providence here. They, they let me out of my cave you know once in a while <laughs> to come up here um and yeah. i was teaching on the boats all morning uh having a blast we caught just tons of jellyfish so yeah. many jellyfish today trawling Is that yeah we, we were trawling uh it's super warm there's a lot of plankton in the bay so okay. there's jellyfish eating them so we found just tons of them the kids they love touching the jellyfish it's, yeah it's just so fun to watch that's cool <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the aquarium in general um, and just basically what goes on there and I think it's an amazing place. I mean, the location is maybe unbeatable. It's right on the water at Easton's Beach in Newport. Mia, you've been there too. Yeah. I mean, I'm not kidding. Yeah. It's right on the beach mm -hmm. in no, the rotunda. It's literally probably the best location you guys can definitely have. So I had a very specific first impression of the aquarium when I walked in it for the first time, which was about a month ago. And I wonder if Mia 
will share the same impression that I had. Yeah. I'm so curious right now. Point, <laughs> point blank, it was, this is the smallest aquarium yeah. I've ever seen in my life. But I will say the close, close second thought was, this is probably the highest density aquarium yes. I've ever seen in my life. Because yes. there are literally things, I mean, not literally, but almost stacked on top of each other. Oh, yeah. Everything is packed in tight there. Did you feel the same way walking in? Yeah, I mean, my first thought was I have so many questions. And I honestly didn't walk in there thinking that I would have as many questions as I did. And I, when I was going around with one of the interns, um, I had no idea about any of the animals that were there. Like, I the dogfish sharks like even like the skates and like it's so cool how you guys have like the babies and then the adults and i don't know i was really shocked to see how much um animals you guys had in there that's awesome. super cool to hear guys uh i, I really love your reaction there because yeah. we kind of feed off of those reactions at the aquarium as far as our education we, we really try to work hard with that yeah. yeah yeah exactly i mean the the building itself is small but there is a lot going on mm -hmm. there's a diversity of exhibits so there are um, touch tanks with sort of typical Narragansett Bay life in them. And then there's a nocturnal room, which is kind of like a corner where the lights are off. And there's some like black lighting in there, I guess. And there's a stargazer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, um, Isn't there like an eel in there? Yeah. Or is it cool eel. Yeah. yeah. So he just got upgraded. He's got a bigger tank Ooh, now. Nice. Had to turn the lights down in there too. Eels Ooh, like it dark. It's yeah. even darker now. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So yeah, suddenly it feels like, you know, an amusement park where you're in like this little blacked out corner. Mm -hmm. And then there's the Bay of the Future tanks where you've got some tropical fish, some puffer fish. Uh, there's that big eye, um, which looks like, you know, nothing you'd ever see in Narragansett Bay. But, and we'll get to eventually how those tropical fish get there yeah. uh, but first i want to just stay on this point of the size of the aquarium because i think that's the first thing that people think of it's the first thing to me that stands out what are the challenges of managing a small aquarium yeah there's a lot of challenges um so when i first was asked to take on that position i'm like wow this is going to be interesting how are we going to make this work because when people think of aquarium they think of these huge places with uh killer whales and dolphins and sea turtles and you know uh big charismatic megafauna they call that big animals that people really like to see um and you know what narragansett bay isn't necessarily full of huge animals like that we do get some larger mammals and things like that things that pass through the rhode island sound as well um but but what we really uh, took on at our facility is uh, the goal of sharing a lot of the um, less popular, less well-known critters that are found uh, throughout Narragansett Bay. We have an amazing density of life. That's one thing that's very characteristic of uh, bays throughout the world and estuaries. They're highly productive. You get a lot of things living in a not-so-big space. A lot of them start... Um, as juveniles that then go on to populate our oceans and things like that. So we really work hard on that. A lot of our stuff um, that we are displaying there, we'll get these specimens as small individuals. Um, we'll grow them for about a year. So kind of like a head start program, get them big and strong and healthy yeah. and release them back into the bay. So yeah. we kind of found, okay, if we're going to be a small facility, how can we make this the most valuable for the life that's going to live there? And uh, educationally, how are we going to make this fun You know, for people to come into a small aquarium? Yeah, exactly. Do you think it can be more fun to visit a small aquarium? Uh, I mean, absolutely, because I run a small <laughs> aquarium. There's no choice about that. Um, yeah. 
But, you know, what we really do to make it unique, um, when you go to maybe a large aquarium, you get to see all the cool stuff, right? But one thing you don't necessarily get is the interaction with um, marine biologists, scientists, students, interns, volunteers, all the people that make the facility run. They know the inner workings and they can give you really excellent tours. Yeah. Um, and you guys got a little bit of that, right? You got yes. to help us teach there a bit, a, kind of a trial by fire with you guys to see, uh, yeah. you know, if you could have some fun with it. Um, but we really wanted to make it special. So if people walk in, you're going to be speaking to, you know, anywhere from three to seven uh, people that work there and are able to show you what makes each animal so cool. Because I know when I go to a big aquarium, I'm like, I have a thousand questions about that animal. There's a little sign. Exactly. There's yeah. no one to ask. But, you know, sometimes they have them. But mm. definitely uh, in our small aquarium, we can do that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, you know, we're doing all kinds of science experiments. Uh, we're doing all kinds of lessons, a lot of interactive stuff. Um, and, I mean, we even have stuff designed for kids all the way up through adults as well, too. So we have fun with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I certainly experienced that when I spent some time there. Mia, you did, too, where... Um, you know, they're expecting us to be at the touch tanks and like, you know, we're volunteering, we're helping out and it's fun to be there with everyone. But I, I realized that my knowledge of these species is like surface level. And some of the interns who have been there for a little while have a basically bottomless reservoir of facts about, I don't even get them started on the horseshoe crab. They could go for <laughs> half an hour on the horseshoe crab alone. And I, I think that is one of the benefits of having a smaller facility is these interns will really, will basically walk you around through everything. And you'll get to see um, maybe not creatures of the size you would see at a different aquarium, but creatures in, a, in detail that you wouldn't see at another aquarium. So that is interesting. Um, and you also mentioned that at a small aquarium, you're focusing quite a bit on the health of the species that are there, of the animals that are there. So is everything in the aquarium found in the bay? Yeah, and uh, it absolutely is. So every single specimen that we display was found in Narragansett Bay okay. in Rhode Island waters. Yeah. Um, the re there's a few reasons we do that. And a lot of these large aquariums, um, they have stuff from all over the world. It's one thing that makes it like super interesting, right? Um, but with that comes uh, the absolute necessity whenever they take in an animal, they have to keep it forever for the most part. Um, in captivity, they can't release it because it runs the risk. Uh, unless they have, you know, isolated systems, very special things going on. Um, if they release it, it can introduce a disease. It can introduce something like an invasive species, that kind of thing. Yeah. And since everything we have is directly from Narragansett Bay, we can move our life in and out at will. Um, meaning the average stay for any animal there is usually no more than a year. As long as it's healthy, um, it's not like a, a tropical stray that would die once winter comes, uh, things like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's not easy to keep these all these creatures together. I remember one sort of episode from my time there was when someone almost put a tiny cunner in the wrong tank. And you had to very quickly stop them and get it out of there because... Uh, obviously, the interns know don't a lot. Get me started on cutters. They don't know everything, <laughs> and and you're the expert here. And you were explaining that the cunner would wreak havoc among those fish, and then um, you decided to put it in another tank where it could could be preyed upon by the other fish in the tank. But you knew that the cunner was fast enough to stay away, and you sorted out this situation where you could fit it in. So every time you get a new species, not only do you have to you know, fit everything into the puzzle 
so that it's all good in whatever tank it's in. Then something new is thrown in, and sometimes things have to be moved around. So I definitely appreciate like the complexity of keeping all these fish there. Yeah, cunners are a beautiful fish. They're gorgeous. They get great coloration. They have really big teeth. They're yeah. really aggressive. Um, they can outcompete just about any fish um, in any kind of close quarters. These guys in Narragansett Bay are living in rock crevices and caves and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. They're just really hardy, really aggressive. I think they call them a cunner because they are so cunning. Yeah. Um, they're, they watch your every move. They observe every fish around them. Um, and they will find their weakness and exploit it immediately. <laughs> That's why, you know, I make sure I, you know, I do display cunners, but I make sure that they are with, you know, very aggressive fish that can kind of match them um, or just by themselves. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was actually really inspired by that because you, you put this cunner in with like some bigger, the big fish of the bay. Yes, tank. our largest exhibit. And I was like, yeah. oh, is he going to be all right in there? And you were like, <laughs> nothing's going to catch that cunner. Yeah. <laughs> just... You'll come back in a year. It'll, you know, be four or five, six times bigger. Yeah. And we'll attempt to catch it and release it. They're yeah. hard to catch too, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so those are those are the ins and outs of maintaining a, an aquarium that's just got all fish from the bay. But it's not like you've sacrificed having things from far away by catching everything close. So there are some tropical fish in that Bay of the Future display, and there's mm. the short big eye, who's one of my favorites. And th- those are truly like Gulf Stream. Um, Orphans, they call them, That's or fish that are pushed yeah. up the coast. Yep, yeah. So Gulf Stream orphan, tropical stray. I've heard them called both of those. Yeah. These kinds of fish that we find in Narragansett Bay, they usually occur from like the Carolinas to the Bahamas along the eastern coast of you know, the United States. Um, and what'll happen? They'll get caught in the uh, Gulf Stream current, usually during the hot parts of summer when all the adults are like laying their eggs, the juveniles are hatching out, and they just can't resist the current. They're too small. The way our bay is shaped, the current goes directly into our bay. Yeah. And the fish, they the eggs will hatch here. The juveniles will exist here. They'll have fun all summer long for the most part. Um, but once winter comes, it just gets much too cold for them. And they'll usually perish in the bay. So we catch as many of those as we can. Yeah. Um, just because without us, they would, you know, no more. Okay. <laughs> so they're not released. Very rarely. They'll so, um, you know, like like we said, our facility is, you know, pretty tiny. So yeah. when these fish get too big for us, we do one of two things. We'll contact another large local aquarium, you know, so, somewhere in the region. Yeah. See if they have room for these um, strays here. Okay. Um, or the other thing we do is we wait for the, the closest summer. We wait for the hottest part of that summer when our bay is nice and toasty. Like mm-hmm. I was out there today. 85 degrees in the surface water today. Wow. Really? Which is like, yeah, that is 85 super, degrees. 85 in the super in the surface water. Very warm. So this is the time of year where we would take the tropical strays that we've gotten as juveniles. Yeah. We've grown them for however long, gotten them big and strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is when we would set them back out there and hope that they could make their way back down to their home territory. Okay. And that's the best shot we can get for them at, at our facility. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. That's cool, though. Um, <laughs> is there a specific place in Narragansett Bay that they tend to go to? Oh, somewhere? those are my secrets to find all my good stuff. Ooh. I don't know if I should be giving this stuff away. <laughs> um, you know, places that we try to find these kinds of areas are uh, protected coves, um, areas where there isn't a ton of wave action, stuff like that. They're going to be looking to find cover, kind of hide out. Um, you know, they really love 
things like eelgrass beds, seaweed beds, stuff like that. Um, and we, we go out, actually our interns do a lot of this stuff too. So, you yeah. know, I know you guys intern up here in Providence, but if you ever want to come down, you know, and go fishing all day, yeah. um, we do spend a lot of time. something that's actually fun, man. Yeah. 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 I don't mean it. Hey, I think podcasts <laughs> are fun. This is good to have a change of pace. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we spend the hot parts of summer trying to catch as many tropical strays as possible because yeah. you know, we, we want to save them you know it's, it's something we can do and then they look super cool to display yeah. and they're a really good educational tool too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean it's really incredible i don't know where in the world you found the short big guy i know it sounds like i have an obsession with that fish but it's like this <laughs> it's is worth seeing <laughs> he's got a decent story actually so um one of our middle school students was snorkeling in an undisclosed cove in uh, Newport. Okay. <laughs> nice productive one. Um, and he came to me at the aquarium because he comes all the time and he was like, Adam, I saw this fish. It was like bright red with like a big eye, really gorgeous. Um, and I'm like, oh my goodness, that's so cool. That's probably a big eye. Like I showed him a picture. He said that's what it was. And he actually, after that, he left the aquarium immediately. He went back to that cove. The fish was still sitting there. In the wow. same place, perfectly healthy, happy to be there. Uh, and he actually was able to rescue him and, and bring him in. Wow. And, and we still have him. He's doing great. When we got him, he's about the size of a quarter. Um, no way. And, and how wow. big is he now? Like he's uh, the size of a dinner plate. plate. Yeah. Dinner plate. Yeah, yeah. Good size. He's big. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, um, wow. So that's a, that was a cool story. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Having all of these fish up here is great. Theoretically, we might be seeing more and more of them, right? as sort of the waters warm, especially up the coast, and the bay warming quite a bit. Absolutely. So scientists have figured out since about the 1930s, the average temperature of the bay has increased about four degrees on average. That's crazy. When you hear that, you might think, okay, four degrees, you know, that's not a lot. But when we're talking about the average um, that has remained stable for so, so long, that's actually a pretty significant change. And this is a direct sign from climate change. Mm -hmm. When we burn those fossil fuels, it heats up our planet, you know, scientists have figured this out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're noticing, you know, I'm seeing tropical strays nice and early in the season. Uh, last season, my, my final tropical stray was found in December. Yeah. Um, wow. Which that was the latest I've personally ever caught one. Um, not to say that there might be other ones out there. I don't catch every fish in the bay, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'd, I'd say it's something definitely worth researching and doing more studying. Now, people... Th- love to see these fish because they're beautiful but they do have some ecological issues that could happen if we heat up our base so much that mm-hmm. these things can live here year-round yeah it'll throw off the delicate balance that is the narragansett bay ecosystem our food webs would be tilted um the native guys even like the cunner would all of a sudden have to compete with a bunch of fish that would never be here before um and it would really wreak havoc for all the ones that we have grown to love around here so yeah you know that's that's a good one to talk about mm-hmm. yeah that's <laughs> fascinating topic and it, you know it's like you said it's a great educational opportunity especially because you have like so many young people coming through and they're more than just pretty faces those tropical fish they, they really do mean something um, absolutely there are a few other specific species i wanted to talk about mm. the first is kind of a personal follow-up did you guys ever release the dogfish? Oh, we did. So, okay. okay. And I know you wanted to come film it. He's gone. <laughs> I know you wanted to come film it, but sometimes, so what happens is we get dogfish, uh, the smooth dogfish species kind of at a young age, right? Yeah. Um, 
when they're, you know, maybe foot and a half, two feet, something like that. Uh, and we'll grow them out for a certain amount of time um, and grow them basically as large as, as our facility can handle with, with keeping the animals safe and happy and healthy. Yeah. Um, and then we put the word out to local fishermen, scientists, science facilities that we work with, and we tell them, hey, you know, we're, we were ready to release our smooth dog. We want another small one to give it a nice head start in life here and give it some time to get big and stuff like that um, without, you know, getting eaten by a larger shark or something. Mm -hmm. So we um, recently got another one in um, from a wonderful local fisherman that works with us all the time. He'll go unnamed for now. He, he likes to remain anonymous. Okay. A, lot, a lot of the fishermen around here okay, was saying okay. today. Um, but he does a great job, and he, he loves to support us. Uh, but, yeah, we released him right back, and it was you know real quick thing. It happened yeah. within an hour, and you were you know no, not there. So yeah. I felt bad you weren't there to film. It's kind of dramatic. You, you know, yeah. get attached to that oh, dogfish. We grow to love all these animals, but, um, you know, the old saying, if you, if you love them, you got to let them go. Yeah. <laughs> and right at... Uh, Easton's Beach there as well is that right that one we did release at Easton's Beach because it was okay. a nice calm day yeah the lifeguards help us out sometimes there too which is really okay. nice oh, they yeah. have boats and they'll row us out and uh, they'll actually uh, help us release them into nice deep okay. water oh, that's, that's awesome. pretty dramatic do, pe do people <laughs> yeah. on the beach panic when they see you that you're going to release <laughs> you know, a shark you know when we started right doing it we got a good amount of panic <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I think a lot of the people that um, know us at least uh know that we aren't doing anything that would harm yeah of course a lot of the people there are they know the smooth dogs because uh you know they come in they learn about them and at first they were like oh my god a shark release and yeah. people were like freaking out but uh you know these sharks they call them dogfish they act like puppies they're super nice yeah um the smooth dogs in particular don't have any sharp tearing teeth they can't hurt anyone okay um so releasing them is, is uh, you know, absolutely safe. Yeah, exactly. So so if you see the dogfish getting released in Newport and you panic, it's your own fault. <laughs> you should go to the aquarium, right. learn, about this, yeah. <laughs> learn about this animal. It can't hurt you. Um, yeah, so that's touching. He's he's back in the wild. He's out there. Happy right for him. Doing his thing. Maybe yeah. he's got a girlfriend now. Yeah. You know, Could be. Dogs would be nice. He's moving out. So. <laughs> Um, there's one final species I wanted to talk about, and that's the diamondback terrapin, which might not be the most eye-catching exhibit in the aquarium, but it might, could be the most important because the terrapin is endangered in Rhode Island, and you have two of them, a uh, male and a female, and I'm interested, first overall, how they came about, because keeping them as pets is not legal Correct. in Rhode Island. And I understand there's some permit required from DEM in order to have them there. So how is the aquarium able to get that permit? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, housing anything that's caught in the wild in Rhode Island requires special permitting okay. at all. Um, and we have that permitting. But even for something like a terrapin, we needed to get further permitting because this is, like you said, endangered. Um, so the reason we have, uh, we have two individuals, a male and a female. Uh, the male, he's Jerry. Um, Jerry was found by a researcher from Roger Williams University. Um, and he was actually born uh, without its upper jaw. So it only had the okay. lower jaw or, or was found at that point with, with only half a jaw. Yeah. Um, it was a hatchling, really teeny tiny, still had the yolk sac attached to the plaster on, which is uh, the, the shell on the underside of its body. So at that point, it was feeding off of that residual yolk still. So it was very lucky that we found him at that point because mm -hmm. 
he was just completely incapable of feeding himself. Um, having half a mouth, you know, it's not so easy to eat. Yeah. Um, but we took him in, you know, we fed him a piece of fish off the tip of our finger three times a day for about three, four months, something like that, mm-hmm. before he was able to start taking food on his own. And that was maybe eight years ago at this point. So okay. he's doing great. Uh, since then, he's gotten a girlfriend. Nice. Um, <laughs> When we got the girlfriend, though, we thought it was a boyfriend, and we named him Phil. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then we realized Phil was a Phyllis. Um, So what actually had happened is someone had came into the aquarium, saw that we had the Terrapin, um, and realized, oh, we have one of those, too, at our home. I'm like, you sure that's what it is? Not just some other kind of thing? Like, no, it's that species for sure. I'm like, Uh oh, "Oh, where'd you get it? It's like, oh, we were just canoeing around, and we saw a turtle and thought it'd be great to have as a pet. You know, which is a nice idea. I, I get it. People like animals. They're they're charismatic. Like, we love them. Yeah. And I let them know it's, you know, highly illegal and you can go to federal prison for it. So <laughs> uh, at that point, they turned it over immediately. Um, and the reason that that turtle wasn't released immediately is because they had that turtle out of the wild for an undisclosed amount of time. Mm. Um, we didn't know exactly where in Rhode Island they found it. And one of the problems is if you release a turtle... Um, somewhere where it's not specifically from it's usually going to spend most of its life trying to get back to its home turf and usually die in the process yeah um also that turtle probably lost a lot of its um instinct that it had would have normally developed on its own in the wild so at that point dem said all right save the bay you should probably hang on to it um and that's that yeah (laughs) nice and there's an educational value to having those animals there at least more value than they would have even if they were released exactly exactly and you know if they were released at this point they there's very low chance they would have survived you know um and now we get to teach people the importance of leaving wildlife where it lays Mm -hmm. no matter where you are um if you think something is in distress call the authorities they will help you know in rhode island dem save the bay call us what will help out with any of this kind of stuff awesome so the two of them came in each a little bit impaired but they're healthy now, is there a chance they reproduce? So I'm hoping so. We, um, they're, they're both at that kind of mature age where it's time for them to, in the wild, they would start reproducing and laying eggs. So yeah. we actually just um, got the funding and, and built a little nesting box for them yeah. um, full of sand. They need at least a foot of sand to lay their eggs because they can burrow really deep to lay those eggs. Mm-hmm. And we got to get the humidity and temperature just right in there. Yeah. Um, you know, a little mood lighting, play some like Barry Manilow mm-hmm. or whatever. There you go. Um, and <clears throat> after hours, <laughs> cut the lights yeah. up. Exactly, exactly. But you guys can all come watch it, you know. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, we're hoping at some point, you know, just to see because because um, why not? You know, yeah. we're small, but we always want to be adding back to nature as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and helping to educate a healthy bay and, and also or and, and to, to keep and maintain a healthy bay, but even to show people how to do it, too. Yeah. It's um, perhaps this is a legal wrinkle that no one's thought of, or maybe I shouldn't be so proud. Someone's probably thought of this, but <laughs> the terrapins reproduce. Are you allowed to keep the babies as well? Or do you need to permit the babies? Everyone would need permitting no matter what. Okay. Um, absolutely. Um, but the hope is if we're getting individuals that look genetically healthy okay. when they hatch, um, we would release them into uh, the populations that exist in Rhode Island. Okay, you just leave them with other terrapin that, areas. That would be the hope um, okay. of, of what we would want to do. The biggest problems that terrapins face is habitat loss. 
yeah. due to uh, humans building, um, but also, again, climate change with sea level rise, mm-hmm. drowning the salt marshes in place. Yeah. So the biggest thing for them is not having places to exist in Rhode Island like they used to. Yeah. Um, they, they require salt marshes. They only live in salt marshes. Um, so the biggest thing we could do to actually help Terrapins is to restore salt marshes. Um, and I'm hoping in your podcast here, you're probably going to talk to all kinds of people at Save the Bay. It's likely a future topic. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and we do a ton of salt marsh restoration. I've helped a lot with it, but I'm by no means the Save the Bay expert on salt marshes. Yeah. Um, and, and this is something that would directly affect you know, the stuff that I work on, too. Yeah, the exactly. That's yeah. the story of the Terrapin and whatever other species there are. Affected exactly. by these changes, That's like the tropical one of fish. Yep. Like yep. Anytime you save a habitat for a certain species, you're going to be affecting, you know, countless other species that would use that same habitat. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for visiting us today. I think we're going to wrap up in a moment. We've had a nice conversation with Adam. Um, something I'll say about Adam that should be noted and appreciated is not only do you do all this work with the aquarium, but I'm just astounded that you have such personal relationships with the people who come in. I mean, you told the story about the young man who found the, the big eye. I mean, who do you know who has like, who kids love this guy so much. They're like, they're deep diving and yeah. capturing <laughs> tropical fish for your aquarium. Like these, the, you become a part of that community over there. I think that's wonderful. I mean, there was a moment when I was uh, interning with you guys that uh, kid came up to the front desk and her family was close behind and, wanted to go to the aquarium and you recognized her. You said, you guys are members. And she was shy. She was young. You're like, yeah, you guys are members. You come in all the time. And you just seem to like know these people so well that it's, uh, I think that's probably one of the best qualities of that whole experience over there. Well, you guys are great interns. You really inflate my ego nicely. That, yeah, well, that's, that's not great. <laughs> that was job. good. It's kind of what we're here for. <laughs> so uh, I just, that's something just that I wanted to say. So thanks for being here. Mia, thanks for joining us and sitting in. Uh, as a final note, are there any social media accounts you want to promote adam a personal account twitter facebook so something you like know that. i would love to do that the problem is i know very little about social media yeah. i've made it this long without doing it you well, know? You. that's you know we have wonderful staff that know all about that they'll yeah. be able to help you you might be saving yourself a little bit on that yeah so you can find save the bay at savebay.org or on facebook facebook.com slash save bay narragansett on Twitter at Save the Bay RI. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Joseph underscore. And um, yeah, I'd just like to say a final thank you to you guys. And until next time, when we'll be back with a, another discussion of environmental issues. Awesome. Thanks a bunch. Thank, thank you. you.